You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. I'm sure y'all notice it's Sunday and it's raining. It's just uh, driving me crazy, man. Oh. Well, so at our house, um, there are starting to be boxes. Um, we are moving at the beginning of June to a new house. It's not a new house, it's new to us. Um, you might be wondering, that's the beginning of June, Brian. You know, that's like more than a month away. You're already packing. Well, uh, if you know my wife, uh, you know, we try to plan ahead. Uh, but we also know that between now and then, we have baseball tournaments, track meets, Mother's Day, beach camp, on and on and on. And so it will be here uh, before you know it. So there are already starting to be piles of boxes. In fact, this past week, I was like, you know, my wife's getting home late. I'm going to cook dinner. So I start trying to find a spatula. (laughs) Can't find anything to cook with. Uh, Had to be inventive, but I made it happen. Um, There are some of you who have made the decision to go with our team to Guatemala here in a few months to build. And it seems kind of far off right now. You're making sure you've got your shots, getting your passport updated and all that. Um, but again, it will be here before you know it. And, and then we even have a select group here among us who are about to arrive at this monumental event in life called graduation. And before they know it, before mom and dad want it, uh, it will be time to load the car and pack everything you own and try and shove it in this 12 by 10 dorm room for a year. Um, I put this trunk up here this morning. Um, most of us don't even really know what these are. I would have brought my dad's college trunk up here from Middle Tennessee State, um, but we're really afraid to even move it, that it'll just fall apart or something. But it, it seems like it's far off. But before I know it, there will be a moving truck backing up into my driveway to load everything that I own to say goodbye to that house we've lived in for almost four years and move on to the next season of life for the Mayfields. It's going to be here before we know it. The trip to Guatemala right now, again, it seems like it's far off, but before you know it, you will be packing the bag and getting everything out and getting ready to go. Same thing with graduation. It's coming and then college is right after it. Eventually, it's go time. Anybody in the room ever skydive? Anyone? We have a few brave souls among us here. Um, Brave or crazy, I don't know which one we want to call them. But I've heard when you go skydiving, you sit through like the really, really long course of here's everything you're going to experience. They suit you up. You get to wear those cool goggles. You get in the plane. It goes up to 10, 12,000 feet. And eventually it all comes down to the red light starts flashing. And the red light means go time. It's time to go. Uh, Eventually it's go time. The exodus is go time. But we're not talking about like, uh, you know, a few weeks of packing, um, a few months of preparation. 
we're talking about 400 years of being displaced, most of which were spent in slavery. And now all of a sudden, it's about to be time to go. It's about to be time to step out and move. This morning, as we watched the Israelites walk out of Egypt, believing that most of you in this room kind of have an idea of where this story is headed. You've seen Charlton Heston on TV. You're somewhat familiar with this whole deal of the Ten Commandments, what's coming. But as we move out into the wilderness with the Israelites this morning, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider Have you arrived at the bank of the Red Sea yet? Because we're all going to. We're all going to wind up there eventually. Eventually, it's going to be time to cross. And my prayer is that we will all have either already gone across or we will be ready to take that first step of faith and move when God says move. Join me in Exodus chapter 13, please. In Exodus chapter 13, let's begin with verse 17. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. That would have been like the closer, shorter, logical route. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war, and return to Egypt. God knows if my people see the Philistines, they're going to freak out and they're going to run back. So I'm not sending them that way. Verse 18. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt for battle. Verse 20. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So the first thing that we learn here is that God didn't take them the shortest route. He didn't send them what people might consider the logical way. God did not consult Google Maps. Now, there have been occasions where I've had the opportunity to share with people, as someone who I've lived in Huntsville, Madison for nine years, I know some things. Let me give you an example. Right now, I live out off of Martin Road, out near the Arsenal. If my family is coming here, like on Wednesday, for TBS... Uh, If we think, well, we're going to go somewhere out to eat on a Friday night around 5 o'clock, I will drive all the way around this city rather than go through it. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Some of you, you haven't lived here long, and you're like, what are you crazy people talking about? You just don't drive into Madison between 4.30 and 6 o'clock. You don't do it. And I've told people this before, and they haven't believed me. And then they've come back to me later and said, I should have listened to you. And I'm like, I know. I will not drive into this city. And I know if you look at it on paper, you think, you're crazy. You're going way out of the way. I'd rather arrive happy. 
um, than drive through the city of Madison. I've lived here long enough. I know some things. God knows some things the Israelites don't know. He knows that this other direction are these people called the Philistines who are going to wind up being his people's greatest enemy. And that if they see the Philistines immediately coming out of Egypt, they will tuck tail and run back. So I'm not sending them that way. God knows something about the enemies. He knows something about his own people. But see, he also knows what's going to stretch their faith. God knows what it is that's going to bring the most glory to his name and his renown. And so he leads them around by the way of the sea. Now, this is not where anybody here ever stopped and asked for directions. My favorite thing is, even if I know where I'm going, I like to get off the road in podunk places and just go into gas stations and ask for directions. Just do it. It's entertaining. But you know, imagine God did not say to Moses, okay, so here's the deal. You're going to go out to the desert. You're going to see this bush. You're going to hang a right, and then you're going to head out towards the river. It wasn't like that. If you look at verse 21, what does it say? That God went before them. The Lord went with them. If you were going to take uh, like a guided jungle expedition, or go on a guided mountain trek. What kind of guide would you want? You would want a guide that's been there. You would want a guide in the jungle said, oh, you know, I know that path looks good, but you don't want to go that way. Trust me, we want to keep going this way. How do I know? I've been there. You want a guide who not has only been there, but think about this for the Israelites. Their guide... He's paved the way. He's marked it along the way. In fact, let's go a little bit further with this. We know on this side of the new covenant, what did Jesus tell his disciples in John 14, 6? I am the way. I am the way. God didn't just send his people on with some bad instructions or a GPS or a map. God went before them. But now God is about to sound a bit crazy. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back. Are you with me? We got two million people here. Go out around the desert by way of the sea, and then God says, Okay, stop, turn around. Uh, This would be like going into the bridge of the Titanic and saying, hey, uh, could we just hang a U.E. and go back? I left my flip-flops. You're not going to turn two million people very easily, but that's what God does. He says, turn back and encamp by the sea. Here's why. Verse 3, Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering around in the desert. Uh, the, it, the wilderness has shut them in. They don't know where they're going or what they're doing. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So again, God apparently has got them like walking in a circle. Tell the people to turn back. 
why does he do this? Well, God knew that it was going to appear like they don't know where they're going or what they're doing. What God is doing here is he is baiting Pharaoh. God is, is baiting and luring the Egyptians. He says here in verse 4, here's my purpose in what I'm doing. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. He's setting his people up for salvation, but he is also leading Pharaoh to the judgment that he not only deserved, but that he brought on himself. And again, uh, assuming that most of us understand and know where this is leading, let me say this. God is about to do something that is void of human explanation. Um, We know this because for thousands of years now, people have been trying to humanly or scientifically or naturally explain what's about to happen. But God is about to do something that will only be believed, it will only be experienced, it will only be explained through faith. That's it. George Mueller said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. I want to ask you this morning, if you have, or if you are willing to ask the Lord, Lord, please do something in and through my life that is outside the realm of of the possible. God, will you do something in me that will only be believed, it will only be experienced, it will only be explained through faith. God, I want you to do something in and through my life, even if you have to keep me circling in the desert, lead me to that place called impossible because I want you to receive glory. Pray anything like that? We're the people of God. We ought to be. So, Pharaoh sees the the Israelites, they're out in the desert. And then it's like a light bulb goes off over his head. What have I done? I have let my entire workforce just go. And Pharaoh and all of his court and all of his army, and all of his lackeys, everybody, they begin to realize, we can't do this. We can't just let them go. And so they saddle up every horse, they prep every chariot, and the whole army takes off after God's people. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, hey Moses, is it because there are not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? Maybe a little sarcasm going on there. What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? Are you understanding what's being said here? Moses, what kind of an idiotic thing did you do bringing us out of slavery? That's what they're saying. Then they said to Moses, 
What have you done to us? Is it not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us here that we can just serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to just stay slaves than to die out in the wilderness. Here's the Israelites that we know and love. They're back at it. They are overwhelmed with fear and doubt and they're freaking out. And in all fairness, we might say, well, hey, you know, you've got the sea on one side and you have the Egyptian army coming at you on the other. Maybe we'd be freaking out a little bit too. But here's the thing. Their greatest problem was not seeing who was coming against them. Their greatest problem is that they keep forgetting who's with them. They're seeing the army coming at them, but they are constantly forgetting that God is with them, that he is going before them, that he is surrounding them and protecting them. Anyone in this room this morning possible, and you know, let me preface this by saying rhetorical question here, but please think with me. Maybe anybody in the room in need of provision. Is that possible? Maybe any of us here today know someone or love someone in need of healing. If you're like me, I know I would say, how about some wisdom? If you got any of that, that'd be great. Or how about reconciliation? Anyone in need of reconciliation with a brother or sister? Or restoration? Or redemption? Salvation? Is it possible that any of us are in need of any of those things? If so, I have great news for you. God is over all of those things. All of them. He, he is the great provider. He is a strong tower that his people can run into and we are safe. He is the one true, all-knowing, wise God. He is the protector, the redeemer, the savior. God is all of those things. And friends, I, I can't possibly know today with, with this many people in a room what all of you, what may, you may feel is behind you, that you've tried to leave it behind, but it just seems to be like anchored to you and it won't let you go, whether it would be sin or failure or something that you've walked through. Maybe it's guilt. Um, I don't know what you may be facing, what maybe is paralyzing you in fear or overcoming you with anxiety. It's uncertainty or what you may feel is just surrounding you or coming in on all sides. I can't know all of that. But I do know the one who has said to you and to me, I am with you. I will be with you. Whatever it is, wherever it is, however it comes, I'm with you. Moses knows. Look at verse 13. And remember, Moses has just been ridiculed and yelled at here by the fear mongers. Moses says to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Fear not, stand firm, and be silent. Years and years later, if you turn over into 2 Chronicles, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Zechariah's son, Jahaziel, he's going to stand before uh, the, the tribes of Judah and Israel and King Jehoshaphat. And this is what he's going to say to them. Second Chronicles 20, verse 15. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, this vast army coming at you. For the battle is not yours, it's God's. You know what would be great is if maybe all of us um, underlined, highlighted, um, dog-eared the page even of Second Chronicles 2015 to remind ourselves the battle isn't yours, it's God's. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Moses, when he says, fear not to the people, make no mistake, he was not trying to console them or comfort them. He was rebuking them. Here's why. This is Moses' moment of going, are you serious? Have you people already forgotten that God miraculously intervened on our behalf like over and over and over? Have you forgotten that already? Have you forgotten that only because of God's mercy, the angel of death passed over our houses and spared our children? Have you forgotten this? Have you forgotten that our people have been in slavery for 400 years and God just busted the door wide open and we just walked out? Have you forgotten this? Stop being afraid. Stand firm. Be silent. I think Moses is hacked in this moment. This is probably a moment that we could actually label righteous indignation. And listening to what Moses says to the people here and what Jahaziel says to them generations later, which sounds very much like what Moses says out here in the wilderness, it causes me to wonder and to ask, why is it? Why am I so prone to forgetting that the Lord fights my battles? Why are we so prone to forgetting what the Lord has already done on our behalf. Why? I'll tell you, plain and simple, we refuse to be still and be silent. We just refuse. And you know, I think something that would be really, really good for us is to stop blaming it on our culture. I don't care what our 
culture puts on the buffet, you don't have to eat it. And we have somehow bought into this life that is so ransacked by noise and busyness that we just refuse to be still and be silent. We've talked about this before and we will talk about it again. That does not happen in your life randomly, accidentally, haphazardly. None of you this week, none of you, not me, none of us will have this moment where all of a sudden we go, oh my gosh, like I was just still and silent for like 20 minutes and I didn't even realize it. It won't happen. Sleeping doesn't count. But if we want to talk about that, most of us don't get enough of that either. But we just refuse. We've got a plan. Some of us, some of you, you need to determine, you know what? I'm going to go to work 30 minutes early and I'm going to park so far out in the parking lot that most people don't even know that part of the parking lot's there. And I'm going to turn off the radio and I'm going to turn off my phone and I'm just going to sit with God. And I'm going to read his word and I'm going to ask him, God, Would you speak to me today? Some of us need to find like a closet. And we need to go in and shut the door. And we need to leave our phone outside of it. And we need to get on our face with the word. And we need to be reminded by somebody like King David who, let's just be real, maybe David went through a few more things than we have at this point. And yet in the midst of those things, he's writing things like Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit, out of the mud, out of the clay. He set my feet on a rock. God, I need you to do that in me today. Some of us need to get on our face and read Psalm 42 as the deer Pants for water, so my soul longs and hungers and thirsts for you, O God. And be reminded that our Lord and Savior said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If that's the case, then maybe I need to eat some of the word of God. I'm not telling you to throw out your TV or your phone or any of that. But here's the thing. Many of us are becoming mastered by those things. If there is anything mastering you or me other than Jesus Christ, we've got some work to do. The work, it's been done. We just have to rest in it. And the reason why you and I are spiritually in chaos and not in rest is because we refuse to be still and silent. The reason why we keep trying to fight our own battles, we won't be still. Right now, the silence is making us all uncomfortable, isn't it?
we've got to become friends with it. It's, it's where the Lord speaks. So, here's what's about to happen. It's about to be go time. Because God, look at verse 15. The Lord says to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Why are you people still standing here crying out? God says, tell the people of Israel to go forward. And this is where you could say, uh, like where? There's an army and there's a sea. What do you want us to do here, God? So God somewhat rebukes Moses and you're kind of thinking, well, now wait a minute, God, the Israelites are the ones bellyaching. Why don't you rebuke them? And, and this is a very important theological moment in the scriptures here. Why on earth does Moses get rebuked on behalf of the people? He's their mediator. Just remember that because we have a mediator. So this is pointing us to something. So verse 19 God moves the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire between his people and the Egyptians. And in doing this, the Egyptians spend the entire night in complete, absolute, utter darkness. But here it says that God, in verse 20, that God lit up the night for his people. They are basking in the light of the glory of God over on the bank of the sea. Why? Because God now says to Moses, lift up your hands and your staff over the water and the waters separate. It says that God brought an east wind and began to blow the waters back and he parts the sea to where there is a gigantic wall of water on the right, gigantic wall of water on the left, and the ground is now dry. You know that doesn't just happen. Try and scientifically figure it out. You won't. It's God. And now, two million people. Go. Let's start marching. And so they start walking across the sea. At some point, God begins to lift the pillar of fire and the Egyptians realize, holy cow, they're getting away. And so they take off after them. Well, that dry ground now begins to turn to mud. And all the horses start freaking out and the chariots start getting stuck in the mud and the soldiers begin panicking. And here's what I love. Folks, when the very last Hebrew heel hits dry ground and hits the other side, God says, enough's enough. And he tells Moses for the second time, put your hands and your staff back over the water. And God brings all that water down on the nation and the army of Egypt from Pharaoh down to the very last horseman. Look at verse 30. It says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. 
So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So again, we've got two million people. You have to know that with two million people, there's a whole lot of different kind of people mixed in there. Sure, they're all Israelites, but we got a whole lot of different kind of folks. There had to be people that even all the way through were freaking out. Like, what is going on? And and they were just moving, like not even knowing what they were doing. There had to be parents that had families with like 8, 10, 12 kids who they physically saw what was happening, but they're trying to make sure their 10, 12 kids are getting through the sea. You know, we're walking through the sea and all. Got to make sure they all get there. They're probably not even really grasping what all's happening. You have people that probably saw their children born into slavery and their grandchildren born into slavery and they have hoped their whole life and prayed for the deliverance of God and they're walking through, they're making up praises to God. All kinds of people. All kinds of faith, right? And what I mean by that is this. There were people who, they probably had an ocean full of faith. Like, I don't know how God's going to do this, but he's going to do it, and it's going to be awesome. Well, there were probably more people, though, that they didn't have an ocean. They had, like, a drop. They had just enough faith to take the first step. And then the next, and then the next, and then the next thing that they knew, they looked back and they saw what God did. Wow. Here's why this matters. It's not the quality of of your faith that saves you. We're not saved by the quality of our faith. We're not saved by the quantity of it either. We are saved by the object of our faith. That our faith is in the living God. And friends, there, there are times in your life where you and I, we feel like, but God, I don't have a whole lot of faith. Well, you remember what Jesus told his disciples? He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, I don't go messing around with mustard seeds, but I've seen one. They're really small. If you have faith this small, this much, you can tell that mountain, go jump in the ocean. Do you think Jesus was telling his disciples to just frivolously use power over nature? No. Jesus was making a point. The point is, you and I, we very, very often think that we've got to be full to the brim of faith. Lord, I want it popping out my ears and my eyes, and I just want to be so loaded with faith that I'm just drowning in it. I don't want any doubt. I don't want any uncertainty. I want to be able to see it all and believe. That's not faith. When you read Hebrews 11, we realize that faith, Hebrews 12, it's in things that we haven't seen. They are hoped for. They're believed upon. But we can't know. You have to have this much. 
all of us are going to arrive at the bank of the Red Sea. And for us, on this side of the new covenant, the Red Sea is a place that we call the cross. Because it is the place of salvation or judgment. And we have to answer, I mean, are we going to trust? Are we going to believe? Are we going to follow? The Israelites had a mediator to lead them across from judgment to salvation. Well, we have a mediator as well, and he is a better Moses. His name is Jesus. I want to close this morning reading with you in John chapter 3. I believe that you could call this a man named Nicodemus's Red Sea moment. Nicodemus was a teacher. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night because he didn't want anybody to know that he had questions, that he had doubts, that he didn't know it all. And Jesus, with great compassion, but with even greater clarity, spells it out for Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Stop right there for just a moment. I think that we read that passage and we have a little bit of a question about it of, well now wait a minute. Because if the cross is a place of salvation or judgment... And we know that when Christ comes, that we will all be judged. You could read that and think, now wait a minute, Jesus, you did come to save, but you also came to condemn. No. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. How many of us in this room entered this world condemned? All of us. Jesus is telling Nicodemus and he's telling you and he's telling me, y'all don't need any help with that. That's covered. You're condemned already. I, I haven't come to condemn you. I've come because you're condemned and I've come to save you. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And if you turn just probably a page over into John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, 
but has passed from death to life. For those of you who this morning, you are still on the bank of the Red Sea, if you will, and you are trying to determine what you're going to do with Jesus. I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. I plead with you that you would know that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the dead to pay for your sin so that you might have life. For those of us who you would say, I'm there, Brian. I I crossed the sea, man. I'm on the other side. Here's what I want to encourage you with that the Lord has encouraged me all week with. If God has done that for us, why not believe him for the rest of it? Why not trust that he is fighting our battles, that he is going before us, that he is with us, that he protects us, that he provides. Will you trust? Will you ask the Lord, Lord, I want you to do something in and through my life way outside the realm of the possible, way outside the realm of the humanly explainable. Because God, I want my life to bring you all glory. We ask him to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we know that you know our fears. You know our doubts. Lord, we don't want to be enslaved by them anymore. Lord, we know that you know our sin. God, we we pray that you would bring us to a place of repentance this morning because we don't want to be slave to it anymore. As the Spirit of God very, very possibly has brought to your mind... what it is that you are fearing or what it is that's enslaving you. What it is that you know, God, I've got to trust you in this. I encourage you just to pray this morning. Lord, Give me the strength, the courage, the faith to trust you. In just a moment, we're going to respond to the Lord And as we do, if if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ and you would like to understand what does that mean? What does that look like?
some of our pastors and elders and leaders, uh, they'll be in the back during this response time and even after the service. They would love to talk with you, pray with you, share the good news of the gospel with you. If you need to come to the foot of the cross or the steps and make that an altar, we invite you to come. Lord Jesus, in these moments, we pray that you would be honored and glorified as we lift you up and worship you. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.